Welcome back to the Pre-Health Podcast. Today we're going to follow up our earlier conversation with our advisor Mark Counterman on first-generation students in the pre-health application cycles with an actual interview or conversation with one of our current students and applicants. Welcome back. Hello and welcome to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journey to acceptance. Our goal is to share information with our students, information our students need to succeed, connect them with resources, answer questions, and make this stressful process just a little easier. Our episodes will vary in length from a little over five minutes to around an hour in length. Tune in to our shorts on your walk between classes and you have more time, you can enjoy some of our longer episodes. So, Kimberly Johnson here. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, I'm joined with John Moses, as usual. Hi. And we have a special guest. Dara, do you want to introduce yourself? Just, you know, give us a little background, um, who you are, what you're all about, what's important to you, all the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Ara Pasha. I'm a third year here at Penn State. I'm studying kinesiology and I am applying to med school, hopefully by the end of May. Um, a little about me, I'm from Connecticut, but originally I'm from Albania. It's a small country in the Mediterranean. Um, I lived there till I was three, then my parents and I moved to Italy, and then we moved to the States when I was five. So definitely have a wide background of cultures and environments that I've been surrounded by as well as people. Um, I'm really excited to be here today and talk to you about my journey. Yeah. There are so many questions already. So what made your parents move to, let's start with Italy. What made them go from Albania to Italy? Yeah, so um, it's really common to move from Albania to Italy just because we are just across like the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Albania is a like third world underdeveloped country mm-hmm. with a lot of its own flaws. So moving to Italy was almost like a guarantee. Like everyone did it. It was mm-hmm. just for a better life. Sure. And then what made us come here was my parents applied. There's a joint program between the U.S. and Albania mm-hmm. where it's like you are given a visa. Uh, we call it the lottery in Albania <laughs> because that's what it is to us. And my parents applied one year, well, as they did every other year. And just that year, we happened to be picked and we packed our things and moved over. You are now the third or fourth family that I have known that have come to the United States via the lottery system. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. It's it's amazing. It's one of the best things that I think exists. And obviously, I'm so grateful to it because my life would be completely different without it. So give us a little more context for understanding your family. You know, what was what were things like for them in Albania? You know, what were their professions? What was the transition like for your family to come to the United States? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it was a huge transition. For starters, my mom, she didn't go to college. She went, like, in her high school, the way it worked there was they were able to receive teaching degrees in their high school, so she was actually an English teacher in Albania. Um, My dad, he was in the military growing up for a couple years just because his dad was also in the military, so it kind of just happened that way. Um, Once he was kind of through with the military, he went to school for, like, trade work. He did, like, he was an electrician. 
it was nothing he enjoyed. So when he moved to Italy, he picked up the profession of like construction masonry. So that's what he does here too. He has his own masonry company. So that's his main like, it's what he enjoys to do. And you know, it works. Um, it was a really big transition for my parents because they were uneducated. My mom spoke, um, which was amazing. Like that was mm-hmm. beyond what we could have ever imagined. My mom already having being able to speak English. My dad didn't, um, so that was a huge adjustment, just the language. And then it was an adjustment finding work. Mm-hmm. My dad was able to, like I said, bring his craft that he picked up in Italy here, and it has excelled greater than we could have imagined. Yeah. But my mom had to find a different way. She worked at like a Dunkin' Donuts and whatever. She actually just recently graduated from nursing school. Cool. So hypothetically, I'm not a first generation student, but I am. Because your, I your have experience the experience is more similar. Exactly. So I have I didn't come into college. My mom was still not in school and but she is officially a nurse, so we're very excited for that. Yeah. So going into the whole college application process, you didn't have an example of someone who had done that within yeah. your family already. Mm-hmm. And yeah. even if you had it would have been in the Albanian system, right? Yeah. Not in the American system. So can you walk us through what that was like for you? Yeah, it was honestly really difficult. I obviously didn't have um, any family that had experienced it in the U.S. I didn't have any older siblings or cousins or anyone distant that could relate. All I had was some older mentors Mm -hmm. and what we could like figure out on our own. Um, It did come with a lot of, I would say, some financial burden. My parents had to reach out. We had like someone, we had to pay someone to help me with my application. We had to pay someone to help me with figuring out how do I get a loan? How do I get financial aid? Like it was a lot of reaching out to other people and using our resources because my parents looked at it and they're like, I don't know. And I looked at it, I was like, well, I don't know either. So what do we do now? (laughs) Um, It was really challenging. But I think that's what makes this whole experience so much more worth it because we did have to struggle a little to get here. Yeah. What do you think you might have done differently if you could go back and talk to a younger version of ERA? Um, I would have... I would have looked at my heritage, my culture, where I came from mm-hmm. as a blessing more than I did. I grew up in a really American white community where I was the only immigrant. I was the only child of immigrants. So it was very disheartening and it made me want to like kind of avoid that. And Mm -hmm. it was able, I was able to blend in pretty well. I didn't have an accent. I looked like everybody else. The only time they realized was by my name or when they spoke to my parents who have accents. Um, So I wish I would have really emphasized who I was culturally and use that even when I was applying. I feel like I didn't. It's difficult to embrace your identity like that when you're not in a community that has like a level of diversity within it. Absolutely. I mean, I grew up in a very small town, like 250 people in the town small. So it's very homogenous and even sort of the more mainstream cultures, right? White cultures, wants to really put some bumpers on that one (laughs) like even being Italian or Irish wasn't something that people talked about and it wasn't until I moved to a city where I was like your entire festivals for what like I I wasn't socialized to understand culture as something that drove people's lives Mm -hmm. right it's not it wasn't normalized 
Yeah, absolutely. There's also an evolution of understanding yourself. Yeah. Um, how many of us really have a sophisticated understanding of who we are and where we come from when we're 16, 17 years old and making some of these decisions yeah. for ourselves? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially in the United States, which puts so much of an emphasis on, you know, integration and sort of, you know, assimilation. assimilation. Yeah. That's exactly the word I was looking for. You know, we are not a society built around being like, oh my gosh, you're different. That's so cool. Yeah. So, coming from your town, you grew up there. That mm -hmm. was what was familiar yeah. to you at that point, even though, you know, maybe there were some issues with that yeah. in some way or another. But what was your transition to Penn State like? Um, it was a little difficult in the beginning. I didn't know, I don't know anyone that comes here. Um, it was me and one other girl in my graduating class. We came here. We didn't really, we weren't involved in the same things. We just knew each other and we had. Mm -hmm. We lived in the same town, so it was easy to, if worse comes to worse, you're gonna reach out to that one person you know. Um, obviously came in COVID, that was a huge factor because everything was online, not a lot of people were here, we weren't really allowed to do anything. It was very difficult. Yeah. It took getting involved in a variety of different organizations throughout the campus to be able to find friends and people and feel the sense of belongingness. What, where, when was sort of like the first moment at Penn State where you were like, oh, I belong here? I think it took spring semester and a lot of pushing to come back because it was common for students to do school online. Yeah. Um, I think it took that semester for me to push myself outside of my comfort zone and come back yeah. and then also be like, all right, I'm going to join XYZ organizations. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to make friends, however that's going to take. If it means knocking on my neighbor's door, like that's what it's going to be. But I think it finally took having that like social life and just people you can talk to, especially for me, like I'm so far away from home. Well, not so far, but far yeah. enough. Um, I think it took just having personal connections with people to kind of be comfortable here yeah, you have to build your own social capital absolutely almost. yeah it seems like it could be so easy to just say you know this is how my college career is going to go or yeah. you know maybe i'll just transfer to someplace closer to mm -hmm. home now mm -hmm. that i've already been here for yeah. this amount of time yeah absolutely that was a thought that was a consideration i'm very glad i didn't <laughs> yeah <coughs> sorry <coughs> scratchy in the studio today <laughs> humidifier oh honestly a humidifier in here would be great background noise mm. white noise mm -hmm. um true <laughs> so let's pivot a little bit to yeah. getting an understanding for why you want to go into medicine what your interests are your goals within that particular path yeah absolutely um something that i have naturally fallen into but also the things that I've done have taken me this path is I have a very big <coughs> passion towards um, helping the underserved mm -hmm. just in general and that takes a variety of different paths uh, for starters like I said being born in a different country I was actually born with hip dysplasia which no one had found out about until I started walking just a lack of medical care a lack of passion from a lot of the practitioners a lack of just money honestly too, and <coughs> co 
corruptness and that has provided a long list of different instances in my family where we have gone through hardship in the medical community we have lost family members we have almost lost family members so that's one big thing is i want to eventually serve the underserved um that's my biggest stem for passion um another way that i've kind of like i said i've like almost like it's like been it's fallen into my lap it feels like um the professor that i do research for she was just one of my professors i wasn't even supposed to be in her class <laughs> i got off the wait list like the week before um it's a kines class kines 341 um just sports psychology, basic sports psychology. She does research on helping maternal women um, how to improve their lives. Uh, we, as a country that has insane medical field, that we have so much knowledge, we have so much technology, we are also the number one leading country in maternal deaths. Why is that? What can we do to improve that? Um, so when she said this on the first day of class, I was like, that's exactly what I want to help with. So I've been fortunate enough to um, be in this lab for two semesters now, just helping find different inter interventions, whether that's sleep, whether that's um, eating, exercise, that will help maternal women and their children, obviously. You're in good company. <laughs> um, my phone is sitting right here in front of me because I am a doula and I am currently on call. And I have a client who could have a baby any day now. That's incredible. <laughs> if she gets the call, she's running. And we're going to have to we, finish this without her. <laughs> we have been in the studio before when I have gotten a call and have oh, run. Goodness. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't really expect it, but you never want to be out of touch. Yeah. Exactly. So, I, you know, again, I hearing you talk, I'm like, oh, lots of questions. Mm -hmm. So you talked about having sort of like a lot of these familial issues with yeah. healthcare. Was there any like challenges with them navigating the U.S. healthcare system? Was there any like lack of knowledge, lack of access that your family experienced that you maybe knew about at the time, didn't know about at the time, has have since found out, or you were like, hmm, looking back, this really could have gone a lot easier if X had happened. Honestly, no. Okay. I feel like we were very fortunate that right away we were able to get the care we needed and yeah. a lot of different aspects and I'm sure we would have seen more neglect if we hadn't come from where we came from yeah. so this was automatically a step up so I don't think we ever even would have thought that hey we're missing this because mm -hmm. we had something that we didn't previously mm -hmm. so I do think that has something to do with it so I would say no I feel like we got what we were looking for in That's all ways good. yeah, yeah. What do your parents think about your intended profession? Ooh, good question. Um, if you could call my mom right now, she would talk your ear off, overjoyed. Obviously, <laughs> like I said, my mom is now a nurse, so she understands the wanting to help patients. She has the same drive that I do. And I think as any immigrant parent, their goal is to see their child thrive here. And yeah. I pride myself honestly a little in that I've been able to give my parents that dream that hey we sacrifice all this but our kids making it worth it and mm -hmm. I know they feel this way um, I have family members that are still back in Albania and they always call me up and they're saying like we're so proud of you like mm -hmm. and their kids didn't get this experience yeah. so for them it's like yeah so it's my niece or my great niece but it's someone is getting this experience so it's definitely they're overjoyed honestly just like like I said any immigrant parent it's also a lot of stress absolutely 
What were you going to say, Kimberly? I cut you off. I was just thinking of like the collective joy that you seem to be the recipient of. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, by being able to make the very, very most out of an yeah. opportunity that was a little bit unexpected. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I think John's absolutely right. With every big, exciting opportunity and with so many people so invested, yeah. that's hard. It, it is very hard because I obviously don't want to let anybody down, but this wasn't a passion that was kind of thrown onto me by my parents. It was a passion that I found myself. So I think that makes it more meaningful, better for them, because I'm sure they would have been happy with any field that I chose. Regardless of what it was, I'm sure they would have been thrilled that I was able to do something that they honestly never expected me to do. But I do think that it being medicine does, it hits close to home for us um, and it means a lot more. When you think about your future in medicine and serving the underserved, do you have particular ideas of what that looks like for you? Or are you going to just sort of go along and see where things take you? Yeah, absolutely. So I I obviously know, like, I'm not even in medical school yet, obviously, but I know that, like, a lot of students change their mind. They go in thinking one thing and then come up with another thing. Right now in my trajectory what I want to do is I want to help kids um whatever that means I just I have a passion in helping children I have a passion in helping children become something and getting them to that point um as far as after that I would like to become a doctor abroad or some sort of doctor that is able to help different countries or even honestly here because we are we have our own issues in the US we have our own problems that I'm sure doctors are needed everywhere so I would just like to provide some nonprofit work to someone that needs it yeah where do you think that passion for serving children comes from um it comes from myself honestly it's a lot deep rooted and that I was underserved as a child um but it also stems from I over the summer, I work with children all day, every day. I'm a camp counselor in the morning. Cool. Um, so I work with four and five-year-olds then. And then in the afternoons, I'm a medical assistant at a pediatrician. So I kind of see both sides of it. Yes, the morning is so fun mm-hmm. with little kids. Well, can't get much better than that. But then in the afternoon, I'm in, a, uh, I'm in Hartford, Connecticut, mm-hmm. which is obviously the only one of the only cities in Connecticut. And you see a lot more than you honestly would ever want to see when it comes to children suffering and children not getting the right care and children that again underserved so I feel like that has also pushed me to wanting to help kids cool so uh what's the is it like through a particular program that you work with the kids in the morning like what's tell tell me more about that it's honestly just like a local camp that Uh I um it's run by a gym teacher in Mm -hmm. my hometown um (laughs) I grew up with his daughter, my sister grew up with his son, and he, a couple years ago, was like, I want to start Camp Era, hop on and help me, and I was like, absolutely. Yeah. I, it's the most fun time. Like, I know students go home and they're like, oh, I hate working, like, I don't want to work. I, like, I miss it so much. Mm-hmm. I'm so sad I can't do it next summer. Like, I look forward to it. It's honestly such a joy. What kind of things do you do with the kids? Yeah, we, it's predominantly a sports camp, so cool. it's a lot of, like, hiking. Tracks. 
Yeah, hiking, activities, games. Obviously, they're four and five. So that doesn't always work out. You can't mm-hmm. have them throwing a ball at each other and playing dodgeball. Like, it just doesn't work out that way. Yeah. So we do, like, water games, mm-hmm. water balloon toss, or, like, crafts, too. Just cool. keeping them engaged <laughs> throughout the day. I Four and five is, like, simultaneously, like, such a fun age. But it's also a very exhausting age. Yeah. They're at, like, the peak of that energy questioning mm-hmm. yes the, the the wise yeah is uh wow they're abundant at that age absolutely do you do you find that like you particularly love that age over other ages um yes i would say so it is very hard like you said like that age is teetering on really good or really bad it's yep. also hard because they haven't gone to kindergarten yet so mm-hmm. uh, we like me and my one of my co-workers were the first sort of control or other structure. person that, yeah structure or like teacher they call us teacher like we're mm-hmm. not teachers but they call us teachers because they've never experienced that before so that's right kind of teeters i i feel like that honestly is predominantly the age that i gravitate to towards most like mm-hmm. them and younger I feel like once you get into the older, is it kind of like all the angst comes yeah, around? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember being that angsty preteen, though. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't like me back then. I no. love me now. I would not have liked me back then. <laughs> I would have to second that statement. <laughs> yeah. So pivoting to what you do in the afternoons. Mm-hmm. And also talking about like that journey to college and how you prepared for that. I'd love to hear more about some of the people who have mentored you over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the doctor that I am a medical assistant for, it's his own practice. Um, him, him and his wife have been some of the biggest mentors that I've had just because they both immigrated from India. Um, they now practice here, obviously, but they've been so helpful and providing opportunities and constantly being another support like I said like that was so needed especially with my parents that they always provided it um other mentors honestly my teachers in high school um they like most but definitely a select few were really able to be there for me and Mm -hmm. were able to not only they were beyond writing a good letter of recommendation they were support for lunch when Mm -hmm. I needed to vent about something or support for, hey, what do you think about X, Y, Z? They were always there, great mentors. And obviously my parents, they are the pillars that keep me afloat. Um, They, I couldn't ask for better mentors than them too. I love that. I was just thinking, I'm gonna lose my train of thought. It's all right, we'll help you get back on that train. (laughs) Um, <laughs> what? Anyway. So you talked about being sort of one of the only immigrant families mm-hmm. in your town and being like sort of a very um, typical, like small town ish yeah. American mm-hmm. experience. Did you ever have conversations with your friends about what? how your experience differed from theirs at all or challenges that you were facing that you noticed were different with than what their experience was was that ever a topic of conversation <clears throat> yeah it was definitely like my close friends friends that I still have now they all know mm-hmm. um and they have all been they're just incredibly 
compassionate people where they've been able to ask questions and they want to know and they want to understand why my life was different, why, how my life was different, why I'm doing the things that I'm doing and what was different from theirs. So it was definitely a conversation. I, as much as my hometown was very predominantly white or like almost a little outcasty, um, they, I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, it's made me who I am, so. Can you think of something that, like, in particular surprised your friends when you told them about it? You were like, I didn't realize this was different, but apparently it is. <laughs> um, I don't think they realized the corruptness of, like, where we were coming from. Mm-hmm. And that, like, r- rules here exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to assume, like, oh, this rule sucks, or this law is, like, not great, but it's, like, where we came from, it was a different ball game of mm-hmm. corrupt and just people just being ruthless for no reason and mm-hmm. not caring about their fellow people. Um, I know it's not like that in all under countries or even in Albania it's not always like that but mm-hmm. it is sometimes a common denominator of a lot of the issues that arise that now that you say that out loud it kind of strikes me as almost uh, giving you a little bit of boost or like insider understanding of these complicated processes yeah. that we have for like getting into medical school mm-hmm. right yeah there's a system in place and it seems like almost your perspective is that this system or systems and rules and regulations and things can be beneficial sometimes in the yeah. process. Um, whereas a lot of times we're questioning them and, and I think rightfully so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. But sometimes it's like, oh, you know, this might actually make the process a little more organized mm-hmm. and yeah. a little more maybe equitable. Yeah. I don't uh, want to impose it. No, absolutely. I definitely I've questioned the system daily as you should um as i support you going through it it's been it's a really rough process Mm -hmm. um but there's a lot of hidden uh corners yeah Mm -hmm. but you're right it is it's there for a reason and you know people say like oh it's a weed out course or it's whatever it's doesn't it doesn't want you to get to that point and i'm sure it feels like that and i know i felt that way but it's there at least I feel that it's there because it wants the people that want it the most, mm-hmm. the people that will push for it the most. So it stinks. <laughs> yeah. What have it been at Penn State specifically? I know I'm sort of like sort of shifting, but mm-hmm. what have been some of the resources that have like most helped you get to where you are now as someone who's going to be applying in a few short months? Yeah, obviously the pre-health advising in general. Oh gosh, get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) But another program which I just ran into, maybe through an email, like just the emails you guys send, or I forget who was the bridge program Mm -hmm. through PSUcom. That was, yeah. I mean, I couldn't have asked for anything better. Um, Who do you work with? Angela. Love her. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, She was able to sit me down and be like, this is what you need, this is what you don't need. Mm-hmm. Spend your money here. Focus on this. And without her or just that program in general, I would be like a chicken with my head cut off. Yeah. Because there are so many things. Like you can spend all the money in the world when it comes to like MCAT mm-hmm. prep. But 
what is actually going to help you yeah that's where it's like how do you know without experience and they have experience and they're new at it there's some of them are only first year medical students so mm-hmm. it was it was honestly the biggest blessing in disguise yeah. i agree with that 100 percent because it seems like there's such a benefit from getting advice and support from someone who did it just yeah. a year ago or mm. two years ago there's a relatability there. yeah yeah and and things change so much and so quickly that yeah. you really are always looking for the most up-to-date mm-hmm. information and support from people who still remember very clearly what it was like to be in your art yeah. shoes mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah, we are also very grateful for the bridge program as an office because it really helps those students that that need that that bit of extra guidance because yeah. there is nobody else Mm-mm. right do you know like is there anyone in your family that has like a more like professional level job even back in albania back in albania yeah i have a couple of family members that are doctors nurses uh engineers mm-hmm. but it's not the same mm. um they're just now, hypothetically, they're talking about implementing the MCAT in Albania. Um, I don't know if that's actually going to happen. And a lot of the people that I do know that have these professional degrees are my parents, like cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously things have changed yeah. ever so dramatically. The systems are different. Yeah, so different. Mm-hmm. You know, I th- in thinking about sort of your experience of you know, your, well, primarily your family's experience of like experiencing this corruption and the impact that it has on lived lives. Have you ever thought about how that's reflected in some of the corrupt systems in the United States that have resulted in like some of our areas being critically underserved? <laughs> I know that's a big question. Yeah, I honestly have not like connected to the dots with those two that's okay i think it's something that might be interesting for you yeah because as you were talking i was like this is sounding very similar to some of the things that have happened in like north philadelphia south chicago Mm -hmm. and i'm like i bet if she started reading about some of the things that would happen there that have happened there she'd be like yep yeah i hear you dog (laughs) yeah no that's absolutely honestly one of the next directions i want to take things i'm passionate about with because i feel like i've I am a little narrow-minded in the sense where it happened to me in a different country, so I kind of avoid it in the U.S. thinking, knowing it exists, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, but just kind of creating this, like, the U.S. is so much better that I'm, like, so grateful I don't want to ruin (laughs) that image, but it's definitely something that I want to myself grow upon as a person, just looking at the fact that, like, it happens here, and change starts here before it can start anywhere else. I just think it's important for you to remember that your experience is valid and transferable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You understand it from a different perspective, but your perspective is so valuable. Absolutely. Because you you have been able to look at it from a completely different perspective, even from people who have lived it here in the United States. Yeah. Because you've seen it from a different perspective, you've moved away from it. Yeah. And you can see it from a distance. You still have family that's there. Yeah. Your perspective is really valuable. Mm -hmm. There, I am sure that there are children in the United States every day, babies, mm-hmm. who are having their hip dysplasia diagnosis overlooked. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I'm sure of it, and I, I don't doubt that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think John's absolutely right that you have some really transferable experiences and mm-hmm. interests and passions here. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is absolutely wonderful because, I mean, 
I think it's so beneficial in our society to be able to connect the dots between so many different mm -hmm. parts of the world and say, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. we're not so hugely different. Maybe the reason for these disparities in one country versus another are different. Yeah. Um, but there are so many who experience this in so many different ways that Absolutely. there are so many connections. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of, you know, the United States does a number of things very well. Let's start with the positives. We have a long way to go, and we we do fail people. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you know you're you're not like what? No way! I know. <laughs> I'm very aware of what's going on right? here. So I'm not, I, I don't want to. I don't want anybody to think that I'm like she doesn't know. I know that you know. Yeah, right? Well aware. I'm, I think about like the uh, mentality of like a pre-med student. Yeah. Like there's always improvement. No oh, matter absolutely. who you are or where you yeah. are, there is always yeah. improvement to be made. Yeah. And no matter, you know, so I think that's like. Yeah. Even students that do like really intensive work in those communities. What's nice is that like, I'm thinking of one student in particular. Um, also, just a quick recap for our listeners. Anytime I talk about a student, uh, I'm going to use she, her pronouns. Doesn't matter if they are using they, them, he, him pronoun. I will use she, her, just to, just so we don't think I'm talking about anybody in particular. Anonymity. Anonymity. But uh, what has been interesting is that she has started to work in a community with underserved people to get more folks from that community involved in a particular area of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And she has said, the more I learn and the more experience I get, the more I realize I know nothing. And I've been in, you know, she's been there years at this point. Yeah. And she's like, I just feel like I, I know less and less all the mm -hmm. time, but I'm constantly learning more. Yeah. And that's like, a, it's a hard place to exist and accept. But that is the life of a physician dog. Approaching every day with humility. Yeah. yeah. Because it's a lot of times it's like sort of the cockiness is what forces you into like some of these biases, which is interesting because with first gen students sort of overall, they tend to like not get into those like premature foreclosures as much as their peers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what do you think? This did have a purpose. I'm getting there. <laughs> what do you think, like, your experience of having to sort of figure things out on your own, what do you think is the biggest gift that it's given you? Um, it's okay if you have to think about it. It's a big question. Honestly, independence. Cool. Yeah. Um, I... I've met so many peers that like can't even call up a pizza place and like order a pizza or like something silly, yeah. like something so minute that you're like, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. um, but I've gained so much independence from it yeah. because, and not that my parents or my family or my friends weren't supportive or mm -hmm. there for me, but because I did have to find my way on my own. Yeah. Um, and it has been such a blessing, such a blessing for my independence, mm -hmm. for the fact that like, I know that whatever happens with me is on me. Yeah. So I'm going to do whatever I want to do to get myself to where I want to be. Kind of this all that, like, it falls on me. And I like that, I like it that way. I like knowing that I'm in control of my situation. Um, so it's been, it's been great, honestly. Empowering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, also, go ahead. I'm just thinking that that, 
it's got to be also a little bit daunting. Yeah. You, is that the pride and the confidence that you speak about that with now? Did you always have that or did you grow into this? I didn't always have that. And I definitely think it's something that sometimes I'm like, what am I doing? And I <laughs> take back what I just said. It's definitely something that's continuing to grow within me. Yeah. Something that I'm continuing to learn. I'm sure I'm going to be learning for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, but there was definitely times where I questioned everything and I didn't have this What's the word I'm looking for? Hmm. Self-sufficiency? Yeah, self-sufficiency, confidence mm -hmm. even. Yeah. Um, in myself, it was not always there. <laughs> Did you ever consider another path? Truthfully, no. And I'll tell you the story really quickly. When I was 10, I had my appendix removed, and the doctor asked me what I wanted to be. And for some reason, the thing that I wanted to be that week was a doctor. And he went through and he took pictures of during my surgery, and that it just stuck. How cool. It just stuck, and it was something that I would have never imagined it to stick. Obviously, kids change their mind every week what they want to be. Yeah. Before that, I wanted to be an FBI and marine biologist. I don't even like being in the water when fish come near me. I don't know. Like, it's just a kid thought. Mm -hmm. It's just something that stuck. Yeah. You know, sometimes, like, something is resonating and you can't really identify like what about it is like resonating and it takes time and experience mm -hmm. you know in some past episodes kimberly and i have talked about some guidance and things for students to think about we talk about getting a breadth of experience because when you get a breadth of experience you have like a depth of understanding mm -hmm. right and <clears throat> having said that Sometimes there is something just like calling beyond all of the noise. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes time for it to be like, oh, this was the stuff behind the noise the whole time. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking how often we steer students away from talking about like an aha moment when they're 10. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but having a conversation with you today, I think gives our listeners a really good example of how you can have an aha moment yeah. that is fueled by a personal history, a familial history, mm -hmm. a lived experience, longitudinal um, experiences with work or shadowing or passion for education that it, there's an aha moment, but it's not only an aha moment. Yeah. And it's all of that other stuff Absolutely. that powers the drive to succeed in such a challenging profession like, you know, being a yeah. physician. I definitely agree. I think I was lucky to have this aha moment. Luck, maybe unlucky too, in a way. <laughs> um, but... I definitely think it was all supported by my experience and that without that experience I wouldn't be going with this aha moment. I, my sister's 14 um, and she's going into high school next year and she's like, I don't know what class to take, I don't know what I want to be. And I think she grew up around this idea that I always knew what I wanted to be and I tell her all the time that you don't need to know what you want to be, but try things. Do it all mm -hmm. and you'll figure it out and honestly I do that with myself sometimes too like maybe this I don't think that's it but maybe this isn't the right path for me and the only way I was able to prove that was by 
being involved. Yeah. yeah. But you felt a call to it. Yeah. Right? It's, this is sort of like one of the abstract ideas that is sometimes hard for us to explain to students is that you can have like a childhood uh, like medical experience or exposure, but not everybody that has a childhood medical experience or exposure needs to be a doctor. Yeah. Like point blank. Like yeah. it can be part of your journey, but it is not the totality of your journey. Absolutely. Right. Because there's, there, you know, you've talked about some things that are happening in like the world of today's era <laughs> that are continuing to like make you hungry for it and feel further called to it. That's, I think, one of the big differences that I hope that students get is that it's okay to have that experience that sort of like made you think, wow, I could really do this. Or, whoa, someone really like bought in to this thing and this idea that I had. It wasn't a fully fledged idea, yeah. but they attached some meaning to it. That's really powerful. We don't always get that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, experience as a kid uh, it's still hard to be the older sibling who seems like they have it all together and then mm -hmm. the younger sibling is like ah how do I live up to that I know mm -hmm. which I tell my sister all the time she's so much smarter than I will ever <laughs> be um, so it's just a matter of That's the so type awesome. of person you are I hate the pressure to have to feel I know. Yeah. you know what you want to be like you yeah. said you know, maybe I'm doing this whole medicine thing only to do it to find out that I yeah. don't. I mean, that's probably unlikely yeah. not the case here, but yeah. I think that line of thinking is worth exploring for so many young people. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Did you ever feel like you didn't belong? I know this is a huge like shift in pace mm -hmm. and tone, but was there ever a moment you were like, I just, do I belong here, Penn State? Do I belong on this path? Have you ever had that doubt creep into your, your brain? Absolutely. Ob yeah. Obviously, I feel like in order to grow as a person, you have to have doubt at some point or another. Um, that doubt continues as I'm mm -hmm. studying for the MCAT. That's something that's going to always be there. Um, I think it's less about the doubt, though, and more about the will mm -hmm. to do it. Because um, yeah. you can doubt yourself all day long. You have to have a lot of resilience. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that a lot of first-gen students get derailed by the doubt. Right? Because the imposter syndrome, the imposter syndrome yeah. is real. Absolutely. Right? Because you, there's no roadmap for you to follow. Mm -hmm. And more than just a roadmap to follow there's not even a straight line that you can follow to get where you're going it's like a gnarled twisted like scary looking forest and they're like well here's a w damp match <laughs> good, good luck, luck. <laughs> so you know we talk all the time about competencies that medical schools are looking for mm -hmm. and what you describe is like really good resiliency mm -hmm. you know you're using different language, but the results of what it is is something that medical schools look for. Yeah. And our first gen students are able to demonstrate this in a really personal, real way that our mm -hmm. other students just don't. Yeah. So, you know, one, one, we wanted to get you in here to talk, but two, we're hoping that other students that might have 
maybe not the same experience, not even a similar situation, but have felt similar things to you can see like there is power in my story. Yeah. Because I think multiple times in our conversation, Kimberly and I are like, ooh, that's powerful. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. Because your story is your power. Yeah, absolutely. Here. I love hearing students and advocates articulate all the possibility mm -hmm. in their future and in their life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You do a really nice job. Thank you. Yeah. It's not an easy skill for everybody. You know, we, we work with dozens of students apiece every year giving really intensive like support and guidance to and it's uh sometimes it is like pulling very tiny teeth to get anything such... <laughs> and it's not their fault we don't yeah. train i've said this a dozen times and i will say it a dozen or so more times on this podcast but we do not train stem students or health science students to be good writers reflectors we teach you to have very specific skills and those skills are often just the facts ma'am and i want it in this order and written in this way <laughs> it's almost like fill in the blank style writing yeah. that we teach you and this is not that <laughs> it's just yeah. i think there's so much richness in your experience thank you and you're going to bring that to your future patients. I mean, they're not all going to have a cut and dry, you know, fill in the blank yeah. textbook background and all of the richness of your experience and your family's experience and the twists and turns and lessons along the way are things that you bring to validate their experience and yeah. to help them feel heard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's my goal, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I have a question. Have you ever talked to any other students about being a first-generation college student? Truthfully, no. I didn't think so. I don't think... It's not something most people talk about. I went to the seminar for first-gen students, and there were people that I spoken to, talked to, are friends with even, and have in all my classes. We all have the same classes. That I was like, we're so much similar than just the chem class we took together. Yeah. Or that we both maybe did poorly on this exam. Like we, there's so much depth here that I feel like we don't know as a first gen community because it's just something we live with and not something we broadcast to the world. John and I were speculating on this before mm -hmm. we started. We were like, we wonder how many first gen students know that the person next to them is also a first gen student. Because am I correct, John? It's one in five here in Everly College mm -hmm. of Science. Yep. It's higher across the university. If you count all of the Commonwealth campuses, including World Campus, it's close to 40% of Penn State's student population identifies as first generation, which is wild. Insane. When you think about it. Yeah. And, like, have you ever had a conversation with somebody about what it's like to be a woman at Penn State? No. <laughs> I have. Because <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> Mostly, like, women in STEM, but, you yeah. Because... And you were in engineering before, too. I so. was in engineering before. Yeah, really unfair whole, advantage there. <laughs> but, you know, have you ever talked to somebody about, you know, you talked about talking with your friends about being, like, a child of an immigrant. We don't normalize talking about 
being a first gen student in the same way. Right, right. So it's hard to have that community. And, you know, one of our hopes with with doing this sort of like series of episodes is that our students and our listeners understand that like there's tons of first gen students out there and Mm -hmm. these challenges are very real they are something that a lot of students go through and you don't have to figure it out by yourself yeah absolutely remove some of the stigma yeah heck yeah go have some more conversation yeah see here I think I got through all my questions. Do you have anything else that you want to ask, Kimberly? I don't think so, except one thing I insist on asking anyone I talk to is, yeah. were, there ho- were there things that you were hoping to share with us today that we didn't ask about or that we didn't get to in our conversation? Honestly, I don't think so. I feel like I laid it all out there. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> it's great being here. So you're planning to apply in May. Yeah. What are some of the things about the application process that you're still feel like a big old like misty foggy mystery about that process because it's a big old baby yeah not necessarily gosh not necessarily a mystery but i think the hardest thing that i found is i was able to sit with you guys i don't know how long it's been now and talk to you about my story and my passion I've sat for months on end trying to, staring at my computer, trying to write my personal statement, and it yeah. just, it's so hard. It is really hard. It is, you want to talk, send it my way. I absolutely will, because... Kimberly is a personal statement ninja. Okay, great. I will email to you right after this, because... <laughs> they make me so happy. I can sit here, and I can tell you my story, and I can tell you my dreams, my passions, everything. It just, I can't put it on paper. Yeah. That's, but that's a great place to start, though, Era. Yeah. Putting those things on paper, don't think of your writing as this is going to be the final product. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing, I think, for a lot of students in STEM to recognize, but the, the process of writing exactly what you're talking about down is a valuable process to you in the overarching application cycle. Because mm-hmm. not everything that you use is going to end up in your personal statement. Yeah, The personal statement is an exercise in being concise and intentional you can't just like stream of conscience a really wonderful personal statement unless you are very lucky or you have very good (laughs) self-awareness you sit down in front of this blank piece of paper it's intimidating so intimidating and you think that what comes out of those fingers as you type has to have to have this exact structure Uh, yeah that everybody out there on the internet is telling you what it's mm-hmm. supposed to look like. Yeah. And the truth is, is that every personal statement is different. It should be different. Yeah. Whenever Actually, you try and make it sound like somebody else's, it takes out everything that's good about your story. Yeah. It'll, it, it ruins it by make, trying to make it sound like somebody else's. The first draft is never a personal statement. The first draft <sighs> is like... It's closer to an autobiography. It's auto, an autobiography, yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes calling it an autobiography, which is what we often yes. encourage... Um, helps you kind of get out of that headspace of having to sit down mm-hmm. and write a personal statement, whatever yeah. the heck that is. Yeah. And you just write about you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the autobiography is helpful because there are some schools that ask for one as a secondary essay. So even that is a helpful, useful mm-hmm. exercise. Um, the other thing I'll suggest is that, you know, a few weeks ago we had we published an, an episode that has a guided writing assignment in it. 
and writing about fan experience in a lot of depth is a great place to start because the details that are being asked of you to think about in that sort of exercise, you're not going to use all the details. Mm-hmm. That's that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can pick out the ones of like, I didn't realize how much the smell of this was really uh, an important part of the story until I sort of thought about all of it with all these details added to it. Yeah. So, you know, a colleague in our office, Dave Cassidy, did a wonderful job. Do that for like four or five experiences. And the meaning and importance of an experience is going to jump out to you. Okay. If you were able to just like write and it came easy and it flowed nicely, oftentimes that means it's an experience that's really powerful and meaningful to you. And that's a great thing to mine. You know, in high school, we teach students to have an introduction, a conclusion, and three supporting points in the middle. And that's like... I think where a lot of students try and head with their essays mm-hmm. and their personal statements. And Kimberly is the one that sort of like got me to understand the power of this is that like pulling that back to like one core idea or two core ideas is so often the better way to go. But we've trained you to shove three or more ideas into mm-hmm. a into a personal statement. But it's the refinement and the the focus that is that makes it so powerful because you focus yes because <laughs> you get to explore something in greater depth because if you try and put too much in Takes you're messing yourself up yeah. mm-hmm. i'm like thanks for telling me all these wonderful things about you that gives me lots of context mm-hmm. but this sentence here in paragraph like six <laughs> this one sentence this is what we want to sort of just take and blow yeah. up yeah to be the main core theme mm-hmm. of what you're gonna write about here you know it's so fun telling telling a uh, you know student who's working on her personal statement like hey girl i know that you put a lot of work into this these three sentences are really good (laughs) oh well what about the rest of it these three sentences are really good (laughs) that's hard to uh, hear but like we're helping you work through the fog yeah i mean the part of the hardest part of writing is saying goodbye to all of that wonderful stuff that you wrote and realize that Mm -hmm. it absolutely was wonderful it still is wonderful it's just not your personal statement yeah Yeah. but you keep pieces of it because in a secondary essay you might be able to yeah i say never delete a document Uh uh-huh save it Mm -hmm. we're just gonna create a new draft something new (laughs) with pieces of it and don't copy and paste over everything Mm -hmm. because what you do is you end up in this continual process of foreclosure where you're like i'm going to keep this because i've already written it Mm -hmm. and sometimes just saying like i know this is the intent intent of what i originally wrote let me write that again without being beholden to your original language sometimes you come up with something that you're like that would just float out of me and it's because your brain has had time to process it more yeah. And it starts to come out in your voice. Because, again, we, we haven't trained you to write in these ways. And so your writing is coming out as writing that you have read or seen elsewhere. And you're replicating it because it's familiar to you. Yeah. And by doing the writing process, eventually your voice starts to come through. And students that do like more, like de- have done debate or have done more creative writing in their past they do have an easier time capturing their own voice uh but it that's not a universal skill 
Send me your personal statement. I will. Absolutely. I'm, now I'm looking forward to it. because Yeah, we will... really went on a tangent there on personal statements. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh, but it's whenever so we talk about identity... the process, yeah. yeah. Your identity is your superpower mm-hmm. in that no one else is going to have the lived experience that you have. Yeah. And if you don't sort of like lean into that, you lose the specialness of your application. Agreed, yeah. And they can't pick up on all of these things just from mm-hmm. a work and activity section. So I know, it's up to you to give them that nuance and that depth mm-hmm. that really makes you you. Yeah. We we don't want someone to lose themselves in this process. Because, you know, so often they're like, okay, I've done research, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this you're not a series of experiences you're the human behind the experiences and that that's a hard balance for students to strike when we are so used to talking about our experiences as a proxy for our value yeah wow i mean yeah Nice one, John. Sometimes they come out. The diamonds, <laughs> the, the the diamonds get mined. But yet we are we live in a society where our value is attached to the experiences that we've had, instead of the person that we were going through those experiences. And that it's so important in this process to understand that because there are things in your application that are going to be the same as other applicants because there's consistent things that you should be doing, right? You shadowed a physician, they shadowed a physician. Your perspective is different. Your experience living through that is completely different because of the life that you've lived. Yeah. And that's what they want to hear about. I don't want to hear about the things that you watched a pediatrician do. I watched them meet with a patient. I watched them fill out charts. I watched them perform this procedure. They know what pediatricians do. Yeah. This was a really surprising thing for me to see them do when they were working with a, a child, with, a, you know, a patient and their, their mom. Mm-hmm. That's, and it made me think of this, or it made me change my perspective on this. It transformed the way that I understand what relationship building when the patient and the decision maker are two different people there's so many different things to pull because of your personal experience i'm watching you think about this and listen to john i'm gonna say right now if you have any of it in there like that don't go taking it all out right now yeah Uh no it's a balance to strike you want both it's I, i want students to think deeper about their experiences because treating your work and activities like a resume is not the best approach. And we have an episode actually coming out soon about the work and activity section of the application and some philosophy around it. But, you know, your experience as a first-gen college student but also as an immigrant, the child of a parent that didn't speak English when they first came to that country, this country, like... That gives you such a unique point of view. Mm -hmm. As an admissions officer, I want people with diverse, rich experiences. And if you can get that through in paper, you're just going to jump off of a page. 
And, and every student has the capacity to do that. It is my personal opinion that there's no such thing as someone who can never get into medical school. It's just you need to be able to capture your voice and your experience in the right way, and you need to apply at the right time. I mean, yeah. Easier said than done. <laughs> but that's what we're here for. Yeah. And it's why we're a lifetime service. Because, you know, I have students terrified all the time. Like, I really think I need to take a gap year, but I don't know if I can do this process up without any help. And I'm like, okay, call and get on my calendar, girl. I don't care. I love meeting with alums. Yeah. Do it all the time. But there's also nothing wrong with a student that wants to go straight through, too, right? Yeah. It sounds to me, based on your experience and the way that you're able to articulate things, that you f- feel ready. And the power of feeling ready is like feeling ready is so important in this process if you don't feel ready we need to have a different conversation but being able to articulate how ready you are to Mm -hmm. other people yeah that's what makes it time to apply yeah if you can't articulate it yet you're probably not there yet yeah or we need to have a lot more conversation we have to work on telling the story possibly yeah yeah but that's what we're experts in that's what we have developed our skills over time to do yeah and not do it for you, but help you see ways in which you can do it yourself. And help you find the meaning behind what you're saying and reframe some of the things that students are talking about. We're just shifting perspectives. We're letting yeah. you peek behind the curtain. We're showing you the Wizard of Oz. Which is honestly great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We gotta wrap up. We do, we do. It's been a really fun. This is our first interview with a student. Well, I had a great time. I'm good. Um, you know, we are... I've really enjoyed this episode. I felt like it has been enjoyable. And so I think we're going to continue to do some of these episodes every once in a while, um, sort of highlighting different students and their stories. So listeners out there in, you know, podcast world, if you think you have a really fun, interesting story, feel free to reach out to Kimberly and I. Or I, you know, you don't have to email us both. That's fine. (laughs) But, you know, we want to capture more voices, more students, because every student's story provides value, not just to themselves, not just to their futures, but to all of us. It enriches our ability to do our work well, because you've given me another perspective to consider as I work with other students. It's why the accumulation of our experience working with students, especially students who are so different, I feel like we constantly become better advisors because of it. So thank you for coming. It has been very helpful to me personally. Thank you for having me. Right. Well, folks, we will see you next week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office and the Everly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across the university system.